0: have your Bibles, I ask you again to turn to Jude, the Epistle of Jude. There's just one chapter. It's a fascinating book, 25 verses, but it's a book for these times in which we live. This is actually the eighth message in this exposition of this relevant epistle. Remember he said that the reason for his writing was to encourage the hearers to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. You'll see on the screen the New Living Translation of this work, of this particular section. And I'd like for us to read it together, please, at this time. New Living Translation. Let's begin and read it together. My... Fight on for the faith. That's why we have the box and gloves up there today. Contend for the faith. It is an admonition, it is an imperative, it is an order for us to defend the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Not to do it is sin. And if it's a day in which the faith needs to be defended, it's today. In fact, More and more people are coming to look at the Bible as just another good book. Just with some good ideas like many other good books. The idea that it is the word of God given once for all to the people of God is being lost today. So this is a very timely book. Jude shows that the faith is maligned, distorted, and corrupted by godless men who slyly, and hypocritically creep into, uh, creep into local churches under the premise of being true men of God. That's what Jude teaches in his epistle. He emphasizes the spiritual law that moral corruption naturally follows the corruption of the truth. And the corruption of the truth is automatically followed by the judgment of God upon those who do it. That is Jude's thesis in this epistle. He then goes on to give a detailed description of the character, the activities and methods of such individuals to enable the true believer to detect them before they are duped and financially fleeced by these religious charlatans. And Jude stresses the vital necessity of knowing the faith of knowing the word of God in order for us to do this effectively or else we too will become victims to these charlatans. Now, in concluding uh, his epistle, these concluding verses, in this one chapter epistle, he goes on to provide some practical guidelines as to how the believer can contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints in the midst of apostasy. Actually, this change is a refreshing one because you go through all of these detailed descriptions of the false teachers and how they teach and how they creep subtly into the church and what they do and their godliness and all of that, it becomes a little depressing sometimes. But yet, it is a true description of what is going on in the church today. And so, when we come to this section now, it's a little refreshing. So, let's begin by looking at verse 20 for these directives that Jude is giving to us as to how we can contend for the faith. Again, I'd like for you to read the passage together as it appears on the screen. But... Now, these are precise instructions to us as to how we can defend the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Precise. And it's important for us to look at it in detail. And we're going to do a little Bible study as we go along. Look at the first word. What is it? But. That's a contrast. It's a contrast to the man who divide you, he quotes this, the man who divides you, who follow mere natural instincts, and do not have the truth, but presents a contrast to these individuals. Individuals who divide you through false teachings, who take away from the truth of the word of God. Individuals who follow their natural instinct. As I mentioned before in the Greek, it has to do with those, they, it has to do with animals who are in the heat, as it were, and they will do anything to have it satisfied. That's how Jude describes these individuals who use the word to their own end, to their own profit. And they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. And they deny him not only through what they preach, but how they live. And so he's telling us right away, you do not only evaluate an individual by what they say, but you evaluate, especially preachers or teachers, but by how they live. And if they live immoral lives, don't listen to what they have to say. Because they're denying Jesus Christ who bought them. That's the focus of this passage. In verse 19, he refers to the false teachers and apostates, who changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality and denied Jesus Christ our only sovereign Lord. Harsh words, but it's the word of God, not the word of man. Now, in contrast to these individuals, the true believer who holds to the truth is to take certain specific steps in order to effectively contend for the faith. And not to be tricked or duped by such individuals. In other words, to use a metaphor, Jude uses himself. He provides a chart for us to detect who these hidden, roofs, hidden reefs are—hidden reefs, shoals—and to avoid being shipwrecked by them. So, what he is instructing us with now are guidelines to avoid theological shipwreck that's what he's saying now actually there's only one command in this passage as we just read in verses 20 to 21 especially and that one command is keep yourself in God's love the other verbs which are participle now, this is the Bible study time for you. You go back to your grammar, gerund. you know what a gerund is? We call it an ing verb in our Bible study because they all have an ing at the end of it. These ing verbs describes, describe actions or activities that define how the command is to be carried out. In other words, if you do these gerund, ing verbs, you will be doing what the main statement says. And the main statement is, keep yourselves in the love of God. And so, he's saying here that we are to keep ourselves in the love of God by building ourselves up in the faith through a consistent, consecutive, and systematic study of the word of God. Secondly, we are to keep ourselves in the love of God through spirit-filled praying and then also through a conscious waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. Building, praying, keeping. Those are the I-N-G verbs that tell us how to keep ourselves in the love of God. Now notice. There are things we must do. To keep ourselves in the love of God. That's the teaching of the word of God. We're going to look at them. In this passage. Now he says. These are the activities that are necessary. If we are going to remain. In the place of God's blessing. And be able to contend. Effectively. For the faith of once for all delivered to the saints. And so we can outline that particular passage, verses 21 and 22, in this fashion. We can put the main statement above. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And then you can put as number one, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Number two, praying in the Holy Spirit. And number three, Waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is how we keep ourselves in the love of God. So this keeping yourself in the love of God has nothing to do with eternal life. Losing your salvation or not losing your salvation. But rather it has to do with our services or ministry for contending for the faith. When we do these things we contend for the faith by the way we live. The first counsel he gives then is by building ourselves up in our most holy faith. Now we've already seen in this passage that the most holy faith refers to the written word of God. It is a body of doctrine. Today we live in what is called a postmodern society or culture. Nothing is absolute. Everything is jello. You cannot nail it to the wall. Even the Word of God. People who used to say this was the absolute Word of God are not saying that anymore. It is just like the Quran, it is just like all the other holy books. This is not the absolute truth of God. Jude says it is. Jude says it is the faith, it's a body of doctrine, it's a body of truth once and for all delivered to the people of God. No more to be added to, nothing to be taken away from. This is what he says. And what Jude is saying here is if we're gonna contend for it, we've gotta know it. And the reason why many people are not contending for it, because they don't know it. They hear about it, they talk about it, they read about it, but they don't know it. Because there's no personal study. Everything is secondhand. Everything is pre-digested food, spiritually speaking. And so they don't know it. And so that's the first thing he says. We need to build up ourselves in this area if we are to contend effectively for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. So Jude is saying once again, That our first line of defense against false teachers and apostates is a thorough and accurate knowledge of the word of God. That's it. If you want to avoid being duped, you must know the word of God. We live in a day that we have so many charismatic and I'm saying that not as far as gifts are concerned but appearance and mannerisms. They're so well spoken. They are so educated. They're so attractive. and th- they, You'll believe anything they tell you. And it's such a way now of mixing truth with error you don't know what to reject or what to receive so you take all of it. That's what's happening today. Do you have a personal plan for Bible study? Do you know how to study the word of God? Do you realize that those who are easily duped are those who do not know the word? Do you know that those who are supporting most of the false teachers today are Christians who do do not know the word of God but have a sincere desire to please God? And they are sincerely supporting false teachers, but don't know it because they don't know the word. Paul makes special reference with regard to false teachings in Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 20, verse 32. He warned the Ephesian elders about the, certain, the, the certainty of the, 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 those coming into the church as wolves in sheep clothing. This is what he says. Now I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He precedes this by saying that after he leaves, people are coming into the church and they are going to divide the church through false teaching and they're going to fleece the sheep rather than feed them. He says, now I'm leaving. So what I'm going to do? I'm going to commend you to the word of God. In other words, that's the only thing that can keep you safe. The word of God. It's a proven fact that the most fertile ground for false teachers, apostates, and religious charlatans are those who are not well taught in the word of God. Jude validates this fact by making this the first line of our defense against such individuals. So I'm going to ask you again, and I've asked you this, and I've challenged you with this for many, many years. Do you study the Word of God? Are you interested in studying the Word of God? Do you study the Word of God as much as you read the newspaper? As much as you watch TV? See, one of the biggest excuses, one of the the, the popular excuses for not studying the Word, I don't have time. You have time to read TV, you have time to watch a ball game, you have time to do all kinds of, you have time to grow crawfishing. But no time to read and study the most important thing that you have in your possession on this earth, and that's the word of God. You say, you're trying to make me feel guilty? Yeah, I do, because this is important for you. And for the people of God. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. Study the word. Not just read it. Not just memorize a verse. But study it. Study the word. The second thing Jude counseled us to do is. To pray in the Holy Spirit. Not only study the word. But pray. But not just pray in the old way. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Paul, places himself, Paul also places the word of God and prayer together in very close proximity. when he describes the full armor of God in Ephesians 6. Listen to the word of God. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. That comes first. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray in the Spirit. That's the kind of prayer we are to pray if we're going to contend earnestly for the faith. Now, what kind of prayer is this? Well, this is where Bible study comes in again. It says, "Prayer, pray where? In the Spirit. That little preposition, in, has the idea of location or sphere. So we can translate it, pray in the sphere of the Spirit. Or perhaps better, we can say, pray prayers that are motivated by and have their source in the Spirit. In other words, we are to pray spiritual prayers. See, this is not a spiritual prayer. Father, thank God I can come to the throne today now. Lord, I love this lady so much. And but you know she got a boyfriend. She's living right next door to me, and I see this happening all the time. Lord, please don't let this get around anybody. But you're praying into the whole church. In other words, prayer becomes gossip, prayer becomes news. You see, we sometimes we pray, we pray that we pray, it seems that we're praying to the people who are listening to our prayers. Prayer is communication between us and God. We pray to him, not to others. Now, we must pray in a way, when we pray in public, that others might understand and join with us in the prayer, but we're not praying to them. We're not praying to please them. At least we shouldn't. That's not praying in the spirit. That's praying in the flesh. Praying in the spirit when we have only God in mind when we pray. And even if we use a wrong theological word, we don't feel ashamed. Because we're talking to daddy. We're talking to our father. Praying in the spirit. But what does it mean? Jude says pray in the Spirit but doesn't tell us how. Paul tells us to pray in the Spirit but doesn't tell us how in Ephesians. There's only one place in Scripture that gives us a real insight into what praying in the Spirit means. And that's Paul's letter to the Romans chapter 8. Listen as I read this passage. In fact, it will be up on the screen. Not only so, Paul says, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Notice that phrase, groan inwardly. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Now notice this. He helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans That cannot be expressed. And he who searches our hearts. Knows the mind of the spirit. Because the spirit. Intercedes for the saints. In accordance with God's word. God's will. That's a fantastic passage scripture. Wonderful. It takes us right into the throne room. Of the triune God when it comes to prayer. And this tells us exactly what praying in the sphere of the Spirit means. Notice, first of all, the need for the Spirit's help when we pray. It says in verse 26, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Now, what is our weaknesses in this context? Our weaknesses refer to our state and condition as human beings... Especially when it comes to understanding the will of God. We are weak in that area. By nature. God's thoughts are far above ours. As far as the heavens are apart from the earth. We are weak in knowing the will of God. What to pray for. The King James Version says we are infirm that this is our infirmity as a human being. Now this does not mean that we are only weak some of the time or only in some things. Paul is saying here that by nature and human constitution we are weak in this area. But, he says, the Holy Spirit helps us in that sphere Of our weakness. Look at the text. The Holy Spirit. Helps us in our sphere. And state of weaknesses. Now here. This tense of helping is continuous. In other words. He is helping us here. All the time. It's an ongoing. Process. He is always helping us. Because we are in constant. And continual need in this area because of our spiritual weakness we need him all the time to help us spiritually and he does that helps us all the time continually but notice now it says how in the same way what way is that If we don't understand what the same way is, we cannot understand how he helps us. So therefore, in order to understand what the same way is, we've got to go back into text. This is Bible study. See, this is one reason we don't get the truth of God's word, because we don't do the kind of study the way we should, to see the whole mind of God. So let's go further in the text, and you have it on the screen. I know it's a little crowded, but I want you to see it in the context. Verse 18. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That's a glorious statement. Oh, and I hope you take a hold of that today. That's not our message for the day, but that's the word of God. No matter what you're going through now, and if you're going through it in a godly way, you live a godly life and everything else, no matter how difficult it is. Paul says, this is nothing compared to what is waiting for you. Verse 19, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. That's us. To be revealed means to come to fulfillment, to come to the climax in our salvation, to be glorified. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope, notice now, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. Now, no matter how much we say, try to save this creation, and we should, by the way, don't get me wrong here. It's decaying. It's on the way out. All the beauty of these islands, all the things. No matter, And we should keep trying. I don't go out here saying, I say, don't do anything with the trees and all that notion. Please, don't do that. Put us on the way out. Just like these, look at me. I, I, I know I'm still handsome, but you should have seen me. You should have seen me when I was like 16. We're aging. We're on our way out. That's what it says here that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. That's what creation is open for. Creation, not only us, creation. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of Childbirth. Right up to the present time. Still going on. Now notice this. Not only so. But we ourselves. Who have the first fruits of the spirit. Grown inwardly. As we wait. Notice that phrase. Because we can talk about that. As we wait eagerly for our adoption. We're still waiting for that we got to talk about what it means to be adopted into the family of God. We get the idea that means to go from one family into the next. Oh, no, 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 no. The adoption of sons has to do with heirship and ownership and possession of what God possesses. We haven't got to that point yet. We're looking forward to it. That's the hope. We wait eagerly for our adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we've laid for it patiently. What Paul is saying in these verses is that hope sustains or supports us in our sufferings as we wait for our final redemption from a cursed creation. It's the hope that keeps us going. The hope that is given to us in the word of God. Now, in verses 26 to seventy-seven, he tells us that in the same way, hope helps us in our sufferings and groanings as we wait for our redemption, so does the Holy Spirit help us in our human frailty when it comes to praying. Do you get it? This is not a hope of doubt. This is not a hope of Maybe. This is the hope of certainty. We can have the same assurance that the Spirit of God will pray for us. According to the will of God. As we have that we're going to be finally released from this cursed creation. That's what Paul is saying. That's the word of God. In verse 26. He explains a specific area of weakness as I said. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Notice. Notice. It doesn't say we don't know how to pray. It says we don't know what to pray for. And if you're gonna be honest, you know that is true. You know that is true. We hear about a person who is sick, who is ill. Right away, you want to pray for their healing like we did today. But propose that person is under the discipline of God. You know, first Corinthians eleven it tells us about some are sick because they don't come around the Lord tables, right? Isn't that right? You know, you're praying for those persons until they repent. We look at somebody who's going through a difficult time. Lord, give them money. Why? They may go out and waste it in gambling and doing the same thing that they got them through in the first place. We need wisdom. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans. That words cannot express. Now that's not speaking in tongues. Sorry for those of you who believe in it. But it says that words cannot express. And when you speak in tongues, you express it in words. This is something that is inward. This is something that the Spirit of God does as he contacts God the Father. I like to call it the communion of the spirits. The human spirit, the Holy Spirit, And the divine spirit we call the Father. When those spirits are in communion. Then we see the will of God being done. We are weak in the area of our prayer life. This is a natural part of our fallenness. We are always weak in our contact and communication with God. We cannot do this in our own strength or our own wisdom. We need help. The help is here. That's good. The Calvary is here. Not Calvary. Calvary is here with the help. The Holy Spirit. And he is always providing the need, the, 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 the uh help for the need we have in this area. Now, no, 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 no. I want you to see he doesn't, he isn't talking about how to pray, but what to pray for. It's the It's it's the content of the prayer. We don't know what we are to pray for. We are spiritually ignorant in this regard. We need divine help. And God has provided that help in the person of the Holy Spirit. And he's doing it all the time. But the only time that we can really allow the Spirit of God to pray according to the will of God is to give him the time and opportunity to do it. When we pray. Think about it. Have you ever experienced a time when there was pressure or pain or disappointment or sadness in your life and you just threw yourself on the bed or on the floor and you say, and you just don't know how to pray? But you're groaning. That's the Spirit of God. That's the Spirit of Don't say, oh, I don't know when to pray. No. Spirit of God is working in your life and we need to experience these times more and more and we realize that we are in the presence of a holy God the sovereign God who directs the affairs of mankind who sets up and takes down government the way he wished when he wishes to do so he's sovereign he's absolute he has a plan for everything and the Spirit of God knows that plan we don't. This means, therefore, that we actually have two members of the God all, get, the Godhead always praying for us. The Lord Jesus Christ in heaven is our advocate, interceding for us, defending us from the accusations of the devil, and, and then we have the Holy Spirit praying in our hearts, innermost being, teaching us what to pray for to our Heavenly Father. But he does it with groans that words cannot express. So Paul says, the creation groans, the believer groans, and the Holy Spirit groans. We live in a groaning world. The Spirit of God senses our own heart feelings. Our own longings, our own desires. He senses us what's going on in us. He senses us our heart as we say, No, oh Lord, how to pray for this individual. And then He Himself prays the prayer that should be prayed. Now, we might pray while the Holy Spirit is praying, but the Holy Spirit is praying the will of God. These are all expressions of deep agitation and intense emotions. They reflect the very core and essence of our innermost needs and desires, spiritually speaking. Notice what it says. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. That's God the Father. He searches our hearts And God, the Father, knows what the Spirit is thinking about, who indwells man. And the Spirit of God picks up our desires. He picks up our feelings. He picks up all of our pains. And he puts them in groanings that the Father can understand. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. In other words, the Holy Spirit turns the believer's deepest, innermost thoughts and desires into prayers that are in keeping with the will of God. He converts these prayers into divine groanings, as the text says. Places them in our hearts so that the God who searches our hearts will find these groanings of the Spirit of God and receive them as ours. This is an awesome picture of the triune God at work in the believers life Paul says it's this kind of praying this kind of praying that will enable us to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints but then he says something else thirdly he says we are to wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ The King James Version translated, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. The thought in this passage is that we are to be anxiously anticipating the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing how little we emphasize the return of Jesus Christ today. And I mean about looking at the east and seeing all of the nations getting in alignment and all of these things. Yes, that's a part of it. What I'm talking about with the believer is anticipating the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ because he loves him so much and he misses him so much as it were. He wants to, we want to see him. That's what he's talking about. Waiting anxiously, anticipating the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says the same thing in Titus 2. He says, while we wait for the blessed hope. See, hope, hope. While we wait for the blessed hope. What is it? The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. He also says in 2 Thessalonians 3.5. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. And into the patient waiting for Christ. Notice they go together again. The love of God and waiting for Jesus Christ. If you love Christ. You are going to be looking for his coming. How is the book of Revelation close? Even so. Come Lord Jesus come. Some people say yeah man. I got so much trouble down here. So much problem down here. I want the Lord to come soon. That's the wrong desire for the coming of the Lord. If your wife or husband. Go, well. Got to watch out how I say this one. This is for those of you who really love one another, right? If your wife or husband goes away, right, on a shopping spree, what are you waiting for to come back? (laughs) The bill. (laughs) Now, if you're only waiting for the things that she's going to bring back, or even if you're only waiting to see the bill, that's the wrong thing to wait for. You should be And this this is the word that is given. Standing on the tip of your tongue. Not tongue. Tip of your toes. And raising your head. And looking over the horizon. That's the idea of waiting here. Trying to see as far ahead as you can. If your wife is coming. Because boy I want to hold her in my arms again. I want to sleep with her tonight in my bed. I want her to be besides me. I don't want an empty bed. I want to see my wife. My husband. See, that's what he's talking for. Because the love of God is in your heart. The love for Christ is so strong, you want to see him. And if you had a desire, you're going to be faithful to him. You're going to listen to his word. You're not going to be following after other lovers. You're only going to follow after Jesus Christ. John tells us why it's so important for Christians to have this yearning for his return of Christ. He says in 1 John 3 2 and 3, Dear friends, now we are children of God. But what we will be has not yet been made known. Now, get that. We are now the children of God. I thought that was what we are. But what we will be. He's gone beyond what we are now to what we will be later. And what we will be has not yet been made known. He's saying, yes, we are the children of God. Yes, we have a relationship with him. Great. But boy, the best is yet to come. It's going to get gooder and gooder. He says, but we know. There's no guess here. There's no you see, that's why the word of God, there's no, I wonder if he really come in. I want, no, no, those of us who believe that this is the inspired word of God, the truth, the faith, once for all, the liveth, we believe what it says. And so we don't have the guess or hope. We know that when we, now some people don't like that, that's arrogant. But listen. If I tell you God says this and you say it's arrogant, you're not calling me arrogant. You're calling God arrogant. And that's what God says. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him. What shall we be? Like him. We shall be like him. Why? For we shall see him as his. Oh, get, get, get a glimpse of this. When I first read this, I said, now wait a minute. We're going to be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Why will our seeing him as he is make us to be like him? Because four tells us a a reason. But then I got a little different understanding. What I get from this is that the only way I'm going to be able to see him as he is, I've got to be like him. Otherwise, his glory will just blow me apart. I'm not going to be able to see him as he is in all of his glory unless I'm just like him. I can't stand it. I won't be able to bear it. We shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Now notice this. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies themselves just as he's pure. If you are living right now a sinful lifestyle and all kinds of hypocrisy in your life, you lie, you steal, you're covetous, and all of that kind, you You don't have integrity in the business, you're not looking for Christ to come back. You're not looking for him to come back. You don't love him, according to this passage. You don't love him because you won't live that kind of way. You're denying him if you live that kind of a life. That's what the text is saying. Everyone, not just the old Christian, but the young Christian. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, lives a holy life. Just as people don't like to talk about holiness today. They don't know about separation from sin. Ah, Christians try to get as close to sin as they can get and still call themselves Christian. And so the daily conscious awareness of the any moment return of Jesus Christ motivates us to holy living. He comes. He could come at any time. The next big event for the Christian could be the coming of Jesus Christ. And the next thing that follows is the judgment seat of Christ. To summarize these two verses then, Jude says, study the word. Pray in the spirit, and live with the daily consciousness of Christ's soon return. They will result in your remaining in the love of God, the place of spiritual blessing and power, which is essential for contending for the, pay, for the faith. Apart from this, we will undoubtedly fall prey to the false teachings and apostates that now pervade our local churches, and we will do, and we will do so even more as the return of Jesus Christ draw us closer. Are you keeping yourself in the love of God? Tonight we look at specific instructions as to how we can communicate or evangelize those who are around us. We look at that this evening. Please bow with me in a word of prayer. Take a few moments if God has spoken to you through his word and there's an area of your life that you need to put in order. Please make that commitment or do it right now before him. Between you, it's a transaction between you and the triune God. It's your response to the spirit of God and his word. If there's a confession to make, this is the time to do it. If there's a commitment to make, these are the moments to do that. Perhaps it's a commitment to study the word. It's a commitment to become more focused on prayer. Perhaps it's a commitment to truly anticipate the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so you're going to get rid of things in your life that you know that he will not be pleased with when he comes. This is how Jude says you ought to keep yourselves in the love of God. Father thank you for your word bless it and keeping with your promise we pray in Jesus name amen